I'm John Hall, and this is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint, and this is Chad Henderson of Noda Brewing. But uh, the one that I actually liked the best was uh, the one that got a little bit of attention for it was the uh, the glass jaw brewing company idea. Where it was basically all like fighting references and stuff like that, and like it had a, like all the beers were kind of termed like snap jab pale ale and yeah. right, right hook rye uppercut IPA stuff like that. Um, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. You're likely already familiar with Highlight IPA from the brewery, but have you met Florida Man? The brewery's 8.5% ABV double IPA is back and has been given a makeover. It has a drier, cleaner malt profile and additional hop varietals that boast notes of honeydew and melon. Look for the four-pack of cans of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing tasting room and on shelves at the start of the new year. Or you can learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some today and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. Welcome to the show. I'm John Hall, and this week I'm joined by Chad Henderson and Charles Willett of Noda Brewing. We got together a few weeks back during the Great American Beer Festival in the basement of the famed Falling Rock Beer Bar. Chad goes by head brewer and co-owner, and Willett is the brewery's controller. So I'm always struck when talking with brewers about how the littlest thing can happen and change the trajectory of their life, often to the benefit of us, the drinkers, as well as the brewers themselves. So during this conversation, we talked about how the changes in the law of North Carolina a few years back helped pave the way for the brewery and how a simple conversation at the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, which is hosted by Pints for Prostate, helped Chad pursue his dream of brewing. And that's where we start. Chad is the first voice that you'll hear, and here's our conversation. Yeah, I was, I mean, it's it's not a clean-cut background at all, but it's. Uh, I, I highly cr- credit the uh, the very first Denver Rare Beer Tasting um, uh, event as being the thing that was like, this is absolutely what I want to do. And that was a decade plus ago. That was like 11 yes, years ago. 11 now. years ago, yep. And I was, you know, I've been doing homebrewing stuff and was already obviously a really big beer geek. The guy who uh, founded Pints of Prostate and effectively runs it, Rick Like, uh, Rick Like, is in Charlotte and, and uh, has been friends with me and Charles for years. Uh, we did, you know, basically anything involving craft beer, whether it be just like tastings at his house or, or beer pairings or any sort of event, we were always, you know, in the loop with it and whatnot. And uh, when he decided to put that event together, you know, I don't remember if he asked us or if we begged him. It's one, one, one of the two, but he basically was like, you know, we. He's like, you got to come to Je- Great American Beer Festival at some point, and you might as well come this time and help me set this stuff up. And we did it the first year. <laughs> you might as well come volunteer yeah, might as well. for free. Just, if, yeah, yeah. If, if you got free time. Like, and, hey, uh, kiddo. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I was just, you know, we were just huge, you know, beer nerds, and you know, really looked at all the beer liberties as truly, you know. Like you know, beer liberties oh, yeah. is that the word that you just used? Yeah, why not? I've been covering this industry for like twenty three years. I don't think I've ever heard somebody call like one of the, and I know exactly who you're talking yeah, yeah. about. But a brew liberty, I've yeah. never they're heard I, that yeah. term before. They're, you know, I, they are celebrities. It's just, it just makes it easier to just kind of pigeonhole them into what industry. But you know, if you think about like what a celebrity is, it's just someone you celebrate. So they don't have to be a an actor or no, a I get sports it. star, I get you know? it. So, yeah. So, but I was, no, you don't have yeah. to justify no, it anymore. I get it. Yeah, like yeah. your alliteration is perfect. Thank you. Yeah, but it's uh, it's you know, uh, we knew who was going to be what was going to be there, and you know, the idea for the Denver Rare is that you know, the, at the first year we did it on the top floor of Wincoop or Winecoop, depending on yeah, Wincoop. Yeah, and uh, I've always said Wincoop, but um, but the um, you know, it was. Uh, 25 different breweries. They all were pouring the rarest thing that they had available, and they're all basically represented uh, by the highest ranked individual they could afford to be there, essentially. And it just kind of grew over the years from yeah. that. And Charles and I would go in, would go in, and we were in the rafters, hanging up all the signs, trying to make them even, and so they could get hit with the lights the right way. And we're just getting covered with all these years of dust from the overhead beams and everything. And so we're filthy, and and everyone's running around like crazy, and they're basically trying to pound down the door. To this at the bottom of the stairwell for it, and we come on. We're kind of sweaty and grimy and stuff like that, and uh, and we go over to Rick and, and we're like, "What else can we do for you, Rick?" And he just pulls two of the sample glasses out. He's like, "Stay hydrated, boys. Have a have a good time." And you turn around, and it's you got Sam Calgione standing there, and and uh, you got you know 
Garrett Oliver from from Brooklyn and and, uh, and Greg Cook from from uh, Stone and uh, like that was the first time I really hung out with like Lauren Salazar from New Belgium and yeah. like you just had these like Lauren Limbaugh yeah, yeah yeah and and uh, yeah so now yeah I always forget what her new last name is. now we gotta but, uh, yeah yeah and uh, credit where it's due absolutely yeah uh, and then uh, and then was it Car- was it Carol Stouts and stuff like, like there's yeah. just there's just all these huge names that, that first that year lineup read. was was amazing yeah. I wasn't yeah. there that first year I, I I think it was year three that I made it to the first time and it just and it was still yeah. at Wincoop and just yeah you know the talent in that room yeah it was, it was it was insane and it was one of those things where it's like you could just completely geek out you had insane beers I remember uh, Patrick Rue was pouring one of his like melanges that was like 17%, and he was like filling people to the brim. And he was like, for charity, screw it, who cares? And, was, and these were huge, these were huge That just glasses. sounds like a guy who doesn't yeah. want to carry cases home. Yeah, right. but like, no, let's, was, let's call it what it is. So, yeah. There were these huge pours of these massive beers <laughs> that you know people would stand in line for like crazy. And it's, and But I, the thing that stuck out to me the most was, uh, besides just the, the overall like receptiveness that everyone had, like everyone was just so nice and approachable, but like the first person who was still in line to go get was, uh, was Dogfish Head. And it was funny because he was supposed to have Raison Dextra there, but they accidentally, the person handling his, um, like the bottle delivery, whatever, yeah. accidentally gave him Raison Detra, you know, which was very commonplace to find around that time. Yeah. So he was kind of losing his mind on, but he put on his, you know, pro- professional face sure. and started pouring it. Well, no, it's going to, you know, it's going to come. Sam just, takes yeah. a swig from each bottle and yeah. gives it to him. So you get some <laughs> yeah. Sam DNA, yeah. uh, in but, each uh, pour. I remember I got up there and, uh, and and I, I was I, I asked for the glass. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. You know, this is this isn't the right beer yet, but it's gonna be really soon." And, uh, By the way, I love that you're <laughs> doing a, 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 a Sam voice. Yeah, yeah. that's a, it's a, it's, you, know, uh, you got to do it if you can. Yeah, yeah, we're in Delaware. But uh, but uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I know, I know." I just want to say thanks uh, for what you're doing because you're you know what you guys are doing and the way you go about stuff has has literally inspired me to homebrew and. And has really kept the beer world exciting to me. I, I really appreciate it. And my response, I thought I was going to get back, was essentially, "Oh, thanks, man," and give a you know handshake. And then next, and like, there's like 75 people online, and he's like, "Oh man, that's really nice." And he like steps to the side of the booth, and he's like, "So tell me, what do you think we should do better? What what what, what would you like to see?" change with, with, with dogfish going forward. And I was like, I wasn't expecting an actual conversation with this. And I talked with him for actually a while, uh, you know, infinitely longer than I thought I was going to. And just like that sort of insight, uh, you know, and just that the idea that he's like, he legitimately wanted to know what his company, which in my mind was just, you know, like a mammothly important, like, like benchmark company in the yeah. industry, you know, and, you know, obviously is, you know, even from, it from is a hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, and to, to hear him be that concerned, what some, you know, idiot that's been brewing in his garage just trying dumb stuff out like legitimately wanted to know about his beer uh i think he struck a chord a lot and uh and just being able to go out there and talk with those people it was one of those things like this is this is definitely what i want to do and, and it kind of made the uh the pursuit of trying to be involved in all things beer even more um more you know added fire to the engine you know had you been thinking about opening up your own place yeah, to one degree or another, and didn't know how. <laughs> didn't know how I was supposed to do it. Me and Charles uh, shot around a bunch of random ideas and a bunch of gimmicky concepts and stuff, but without any funds or anything like that, you know, it's just you know, we talked. We actually had a, li- a little bit of a serious conversation a couple years before um, Noda Brewing Company opened up uh, that about uh, having some investors go in for an idea project that we had, but the, the the numbers were all completely wrong, even with our inexperience. And it was like, there's no way this could really happen. We, I always wanted to be part of a production brewery, not have, you know, just like be like a brew pub and things like that. And that was in the culture back then, that was kind of what all the breweries kind of were. You and and back then, just for perspective, what year like, What year did Noda open? Noda, Noda opened 2011. So this this was probably 2009, 2010-ish right. when this conversation was even going around. And around that time, Charlotte really didn't even have really an established brewery. There was a sure. rock bottom chain uh, location there in downtown but uh, it was, I think at that point, Old Mecklenburg had like just opened up and they do, you know, their production facility as well. So Yeah, I mean, Pop the Cap hadn't even. Yeah, Pop the Yeah, yeah 2005. That was 05? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, was, uh, so, but Charlotte was still behind the times. Yeah. Because like the, you know, the Tri-Cities, uh, like the the whole RDU, you know, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill, yeah. like that, that that had grown. Prior yeah, they had So prior to Old Mecklenburg opening up in 2009, 
Uh, Charlotte was the largest metropolitan city without a actual brewery. We had, like Chad said, the um, Rock Bottom location, and um, and Hops, which closed shortly thereafter. And they're out like the outskirts. Yeah. Of but they were down in Matthews anyway. But the but the Pop the Cap really opened up uh, North Carolina. I'll have more with Chad and Charles from Nota Brewing in just a minute. But first, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing which is paying homage to its beloved local resident, the Florida Man. It's a big old double IPA brewed with bright citrusy hops and an assertive bitterness that just about matches Florida Man's general disposition. This hopped-up whopper of a beer is big in character and guaranteed to sear itself into your memory, just like the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And now... Back to our conversation, recorded at the Great American Beer Festival at the Falling Rock Top House in Denver. So, when you guys first decided to open up then, mm-hmm. you talked about gimmicks. Mm-hmm. W- what were the gimmicks that... Oh, the, oh, the, 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 the little fantasy idea yeah. things that... Uh... I still think some of them actually have some clout. <laughs> so no one steal these. Um, but uh, the one that had the most steam. Nobody behind listens to this yeah. anyway, so it's fine. It's you know. The the, uh, the like, my mom likes this show. Yeah. 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 But uh, the one that I actually liked the best was uh, the one that got a little bit of attention for it was the uh, the glass jaw brewing company idea, where it was basically all like fighting references and stuff like that, and like it had a, like all the beers were kind of termed like snap jab pale ale and yeah. right, right hook rye uppercut ipa stuff like that um and like the slogan you're a real, boxing fan i like i just like combat sports in general so okay. yeah the um combat sports you're just so, so, you're just throwing <laughs> just all, all sorts of new ter- new yeah. terms to me this is a yeah, so like MMA and boxing, yeah. kickboxing, all that sort of stuff. I feel like I don't so. want to be with you after you've had one too many. Like I'm just <laughs> I don't my want ass to either. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't. I'm not very confrontational at all. Uh, but uh, I like watching other guys get confrontational. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I let them do it. <laughs> they, they do enough for everybody. But yeah, it was you know the slogan was like all of our beers are knockouts, they're beautiful, and they pack a punch. That sort of stuff. Fun fact though, um, I had a barley wine base recipe. That was an English barley wine, and that was low blow barley wine. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. And it was just also had some wrestling tie in too because my guilty pleasure is pro wrestling. Yeah, I know I was getting there, but so then I aged some of it on oak chips to be a bourbon barrel one or whatever you want to call it, uh-huh. and that one actually won Golden Barrel Strong uh, Strong Homebrew competition um, that I actually sent in via Todd and Susie Ford, who are the founders of Noda, yeah, because we started doing competitions with each other, and that one I was like, well, it's an English barley wine; it can't be just low blow barley wine if it's also oak chipped and stuff so it's got to be something like old something d something so i just was like oh it was called old loady blow and it took on a whole different connotation (laughs) yeah a little bit which made the guy that announced the announced it apparently at the homebrew uh, competition really uncomfortable but that beer actually evolved into old voyager which is our current um our current uh limited release like barrel aged uh barley wine that we do so you know they can it stretches over a little bit so Speaking of some of the gimmicks, though, I still like the, uh, the, the second the gimmick, the before uh, Glass Shaw, was the Broken Leash or Broken yeah, Chain? Yeah, Broken Leash. Yeah. Broken Leash Brewing was, was us and some homebrewing friends. That ended up actually starting Free Range Brewing Company. Um, the yeah, whole idea was that. Yeah. Was, was what? Is that out here in Colorado? No, it's in, it's in Charlotte. Oh, okay. It's actually almost across the street from our original location. Front Range is what yeah, I was free, thinking free, of, yeah, free, yeah. yeah, Free Range is, is what those guys started out. Um, Years down the line, but yeah, the broken leash idea was a uh, was like breaking the chain of conformity idea and stuff, and so it was all, everything was all kind of like backyard, like like kind of like I don't know, like this gritty, very very flying dog essence in the aesthetic of stuff. Yeah, they were thinking about you know because when you're homebrewing, you want to put a face on it, you want to give it a backstory, you want to give it a name and stuff like that. Like I always feel slightly cheated when like, and there's plenty of people that do this, so I'm, I'm not talking down to it, but I personally always feel like there's a part of the equation missed. When it's like, oh man, what'd you call your pale ale? I was like, I just call it, it's pale ale. You know, it's like, it's like, like we should give it a name, give it a personality, but put, put a spunk behind it. You know, what I mean, not not necessarily for professional brewers, but like when home brewers do it, because like you can do anything. It's like there's not a lot of restraint on what you can creatively tag your your home brewed beer as and whatnot. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna challenge you on this though, because there's a lot of home brewers that are putting their stuff up on Untapped and trying to you know mm-hmm. grab the zeitgeist of the moment of right. you know like whatever. And if you're calling your beer, 
whatever, and there's already a pro name mm-hmm. that's behind it. One that's copyright infringement, and right. I think that that sets a terrible precedent, right? Um, right, because like you guys must have had to send out some C and Ds at this point, and you guys have mm-hmm. probably gotten one or two uh, at this point as well. It's just it's sort of yeah. the nature of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're Mr. No Comment. Uh, I get it. Um, But I often wonder, though, on how much the names, as much as they might give a chuckle. And we're recording this during the Great American Beer Festival. And so on Saturday morning... Uh, Chris Swerzy will get up there and he'll read the, the, the winners. And every once in a while, there's going to be a beer name that wins that everybody in the room is going to like chuckle at. I love you know? it when he says the ch-ch-ch-cherry bomb. Because he says it like he's about to start an opera. like Because he has such a great voice, but he's like... He's like, I'm the gold ghost. And he's like, cherry bomb. And like, he says it almost like a DJ, you know? And you're just like, that was badass. <laughs> yeah. Like, and know, coming up next. Yeah. 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 Uh, last year, there was a, a, a beer that won that was called uh, Basil Better Get My Honey. Yeah. Uh, and I just and everybody in the room just sort of you know erupted into laughter. And he's got a great sense of humor, and he does that. But like, I often wonder though, when I walk into a place and like, oh, cool, you have clever names. Mm-hmm. But you're also serving diacetyl or, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, I, I often wonder if, like, like, let's just dial in the recipes first and, like, let's make the name, like, the beers taste really good. And then if, like, hey, if we can get a trademark on a name afterwards. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's that's fine, too. I just think that uh, I think it pertained – what my comment was about was mostly, like, homebrewers. Just because they do have the ability – they don't have they're – not, they're not sold so heavily on the identity of that beer name. They can call it – yeah, they're not selling. They, they should. I be guess so, but I also out, wonder. Yeah. Like, there's so many po- folks who want to open up these days mm-hmm. that if you had named something, you know, back then, and you had gotten it in your head mm-hmm. of like, oh, this is what this beer is, yeah. do you become so entrenched in that idea that it's tough to call it anything else? Like, once you go pro, like once you flip that switch. I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't personally think so. I okay. haven't experienced that. They because um, we had you know, all all of our early first year beers that we had done some to some degree were another homebrew batch and there's a lot of ones that I mean like like I said like I had the old Lodi Blow and it became Old Voyagers I'm not yeah. going to try to even get approval for Old Lodi Blow <laughs> I mean I think Warriors, first but, of all I think you should if you haven't yet Yeah. are you saying that you should now is that no, no, so that, like, but I did have a beer that I made in our garage his garage really more than mine um, uh, uh, that I brewed in a 75 pound pumpkin that became the standard recipe for our current pumpkin beer, and the name stayed the gorgeous, is what we call it with a D. Do you still brew it inside of a pumpkin? I uh, know because we do, you can't. Put, Can I you have buy this a pumpkin that we can put four hundred barrels in. We will totally use it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I would love to try. It would be probably easier than the current method. It's just a pain. But we actually won gold with it last year at JBF. So let's talk about this though, because. You guys were home brewers. You guys were beer geeks. You guys are now professionals uh, in this world, and you've meddled multiple times at uh, GABF and and World Beer Cup. Yeah, World Beer Cup. The, the beer that put us on the map, so to speak, uh, we, we went in 2014, won gold for American IPA with our hop, drop, and roll. That's right. And I was down there right afterwards, and yeah. we were hanging out at the tap room and, and, and drinking when I worked at a, an old, old magazine. Yes. yes. Um when you think about the evolution of being a home brewer into what you do professionally, so sure, you find a 75-pound pumpkin and you, you, you brew a beer in there, it's not feasible now. Right. So how do you adapt? How do you change? How do you... It's one of those tricks where uh, you have to, if you liked how something came out enough to where the... You know, the flavor profile is exactly what you want it to be. And you did it on a five-gallon... Uh, you did it on, like, a five-gallon, you know, system or whatever. Yeah. Then your goal as a professional, which, you know, it should be out of your reach as a professional brewer to uh, to uh, mimic that flavor with the means that you have, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a... You know, it's the same thing as, like... So, for example, I just recently started a, a new sour program where we're doing... Uh, Legally, I, I can't even say lambic inspired. Inspired by lambic beers. Are you so, part of the guild? Yeah, no. I just it's just the way that you know they they, they you know they, they you know anchor it down. But they uh, who? Uh, I don't know the I don't know the name of the the, the group. 
whatever. But All right. Like, if you don't spontaneously ferment it, right. it's not, you can't call it a lambic inspired even. You can't. Sure. So, but I just loosely always refer to it to the, the L word program. But, you know, you try, <laughs> you try to, you, you get enough ideas of what you want to go with. And then it's like, well, I'm not going to allow the open air of downtown Charlotte to ferment anything on, on, on our system that I have right now. And I don't have room to put in a cool ship. So I'm going to try to put everything into barrels and underpitch them with the yeast I know will give me the flavor profiles I'm going to try to strive for and at the pitch rates that would be mimicking a theoretical amount that would happen if you're doing it in a cool ship in a boat and farm set. Sure. So, like, so that, that's a method to get something I can't physically do to happen. Just so it's like, so when I'm brewing in a pumpkin and I'm like, this is a dumb idea, isn't it? And then it turns out awesome. I'm like, that's actually great. And I love the name. And we put out it in little homebrew festivals and people start associating with that. And like, we need to do this on a bigger scale. There's no physical way we can do it. You have to start looking like, okay, what other options can we do to make these things work out? So, so, so I mean, so talk me through that, right? Because there's something about putting unfermented beer or you know, partially fermented beer into a once living gourd mm. and then tapping it and, and serving it as opposed to, Hey, here's stainless with mm. pumpkin pie puree or, or, or whatever it is. How did you reconcile? Because like at well, the that, end of that it, that wasn't as big, big of a no? problem though. Cause, cause I didn't, I didn't ferment in it. Okay. I, I literally used the pumpkin as a mash tun. Okay. So I basically just had it as my, it was the gimmicky vessel of like, look who we're mashing it. Yeah. And I literally took a screwdriver and poked a hole in the bottom of it and ran it through a, a, a screen filter to be my, my recirculation. So how do you, how do, but, so, but how do you recreate that on the professional sense? You don't. You literally can't. So, but the idea is like what I got from the pumpkin mashing it in was, isn't that funny? That's what I got from that. What I got from it later on was taking all the grain out and having a caramelized pumpkin meat on the inside, huh. carving that out. Dicing it up, throwing brown sugar on it, and caramelizing that in my oven, yeah, and then throwing it into the uh, the boil kettle, and that's where I got any pumpkin flavor from. Was from that interesting? So what I did at first, and this nearly killed me, literally, the first time we brewed it, I tried to s- guesstimate out how much cans of pureed pumpkin I would need. Had brown sugar, toast them up in a big convection oven that we were originally using uh, to toast our coconut in um, for when we were doing our coco loco batches. And I was just throwing these massive sacks of, of hundreds of pounds of pumpkin into the bowl kettle. And actually, on the last bag, trying to pull it out, I slipped and fell in the bowl kettle partially um, and caught myself as I let go of the bag with my feet dangling up in the air, most of my upper body in the manway while the boil's still going and holding on with one hand to the edge of the manway and the other hand on the CIP ball on the inside of the tank. So we decided to go for other options after that little fun nearly cooked person uh incident so now we do it that's a, that's terrifying oh yeah first of very, all very terrifying i had yeah, it's not a not a good memory at all and uh i had to sit i had to like leave like the, the house and like collect myself for a little bit i didn't get hurt but the but literally looking that close to uh, the wart you know rolling underneath me i was like if this goes if, you know, if i was a quarter of a second you know late on letting go of the bag and trying to grab on whatever i had you know it wouldn't you know i wouldn't be here today um, you, I mean, yeah. you, you wouldn't. No, yeah, it's funny. You know, Fifteen barrel bull kettle. You know, I'm not that tall, <laughs> you know, so it would, it would have definitely got me. Um, so yeah, after that, we reduced to the amount that we needed to to make it more manageable. And then when we moved to our sixty system, we had a dedicated mash mixer, uh, and we throw our pumpkin puree in that, so it gets really nicely homogenized with it and carries over in the flavor that we wanted to go to. There's a certain amount of. Not devil may care, but there's a certain amount of, um, like, you want to make sure that you're doing, when you're a home brewer, things the right way. But when you actually get into a, a proper brew deck, uh, things are that much different. And, you know, like, where you could actually boil a person uh, if necessary. Um, what's your... You've lived through this now, and, and, and I think that this is like a, a, a perfect sort of uh, public service announcement of, you know, hey, homebrewer, you're going to go pro one day maybe. Uh, think about this. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge thing that, that, uh, that I definitely fell into that category of just didn't consider the difficulty of scale up. You know, it's a much harder uh, thing to... Uh, you're thinking you're just thinking about how crazy can you make this thing or how weird can you do the uh, effect of this ingredient or whatever on a beer 
the idea of one day I'm going to have to do this and it's going to be really hard to pull off. You know, it doesn't cross your mind, but you, it should. If you have any actual intention of doing anything, of doing anything um, uh, serious and professional, and people actually seeking your beer and paying money for it, yeah. Not only do you have to hammer out the consistency details and stuff, you have to hammer out the safety details and the the actually you know obtaining the ingredients that you want. You know, there's a lot of breweries that that to combat that they stay small. You know, and they and they uh, they'll be essentially a very large sanctioned homebrew group because because they, they use an exotic plant or fruit that's insanely hard to get a mass bulk of, you know order of you know and uh and for what it's worth when we got the 15 barrels we thought we were going to we thought 10 years down the road we were still going to be on that system we just thought we were going to be in a local neighborhood spot yeah and then we started building out our, our expansion area for you know two and a half years after that um so it never was in my mind uh and i also never assumed that you know i was going to even get the the, the question of if I wanted to be the, the you know the brewer for this crazy idea that two of my friends were coming up with yeah you know so it just wasn't in my in my head but if you do truly have aspirations for it you have to think about how how are you actually going to pull this off because you can't haul hundreds of pounds of of raw material that's been soaking and boiling anything you know over your head or unless you have some sort of mechanized hoist or something like that. And, uh, you know, I think that it's the other thing that, that starts sinking in when you are being a professional is like, like safety has to be a paramount thing and you can really just kind of carelessly do stuff in a garage and you can pay the price for it too. You can definitely get hurt in a garage moving five gallon pops. Of course stuff, you can. But you can get really seriously killed, you know, in a, in a relatively small professional environment, let alone a large one. Um, so the, so the safety and I, and I, when I train guys now in our system, I'm like, listen, the single worst thing that can happen in this is one of us get hurt so don't worry if wart goes into the drain yeah don't worry about that he's like as long as we're as long as we're here to, to fix it tomorrow it's not that bad you know so so it's a if but that's have, not something you knew going into no it. i didn't know that at all you know i mean like i said I, you know I, all the stuff that i was interested in learning is how to pull off this style how to pull off this yeast propagation how to make this more consistent how to get rid of this off flavor you know there was i didn't have the option to go to any schooling with it um just for personal financial, you know, and, and availability. Um, so it was just one of those things where the stuff that piqued my interest is what I wanted to learn about, you know, and that's what I asked everyone about. It wasn't about like, you know, if I do this crazy idea, how am I going to pull it off on a, on a bigger system? To What's interesting is you asking these questions of a, you know, a, a, of your folks and, and trying to change around a little bit, like where, you want your beers to go mm-hmm. and it's hard not to think back to the story uh, that you said just 20 minutes ago of Caligioni saying, well, what, what do you think? And yeah. you know, what, 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 what do you like? And I wonder how much that has stayed with you in your growth as a brewer. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's paramount because like I can have my opinion on stuff and for the most part, everything we make is something that I would totally like to drink, but is that to- true? Yeah, that's you're not you're not making anything like a, you know, hold your nose and sell it. No, no, not at all. I definitely prefer some things over others, but yeah. that's just like that's. I can't drink. We have like thirty beers on draft. I can't drink all of them in one in one sitting. But yeah, everything that we make is for the most part. There's occasionally there's one where I just think the idea is just kind of silly, you know. But it's still I'll still make it and and uh, do it as a as a beer that I enjoy and I'm happy how it comes out. But uh, you know, you have to get a beat in on. Even if you think an idea is wonderful, you have to make it relevant to your community and to your uh, the you know the, the what your market is. And, if it, and you have to always kind of get an idea of like, hey, not just what's selling. What do you think is the next thing? What do you think is the thing that people are gonna kind of go a little crazy for? Like, so we we did a bunch of limited release hazy IPAs for the longest time, and I got shoehorned in as being the guy who who hates hazies, and that's not the reality of it. I didn't. I disliked. Oh, I took that mental one pretty well. Yeah, yeah, but so, yeah. But I, I dislike the idea of people purposely trying to make their beer look worse for just the sake of it looking. The Instagrammable. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, if it's a byproduct of it being awesome and smelling and tasting great, that's fine. But like, don't throw random crap in it and, and, and try to not boil off or do like, like, stop, stop doing processes for appearance only. Make the appearance be a byproduct of getting. The aroma and flavor that you want it to be. So we we, we did several small bat releases of uh, 
hazies and stuff like that um, that would come out in limited runs and everything. And then we pulled the trigger uh, several months ago for, for me to develop a year-round hazy. And we're like, this is in our target market. This is like, these are the buzzword beers, but I wanted to make it in the exact same cost parameter as what we had for our hop, drop, and roll. So I literally would design the beer so that we could offer not only just a, hey, here's a hazy all year round, but hey, here's a hazy for the exact same price line as what our standard IPA is. They both have the same amount of ingredients. They have the same amount of effort put into them. They the same amount of care. We're not going to price one exponentially higher than the other just because we dry hopped in 19 pounds per barrel or whatever, you know, because we didn't. We, <laughs> obviously, we I, I don't know. I feel like there, that there's brewers around the country right now like screaming at you, basically saying like, why are you telling people this? <laughs> so because because yeah, you know it's the, the idea of it being that you know we wanted to have our standard uh, like idea of a west coast ipa yeah our standard idea of a, a hazy juicy slash new england ipa and we'll do other ones that are bigger crazier you know more and then we'll come with you know the price tag that reflects it but this like this is our standardized year rounder yeah that, you know that meets the same parameter that we're trying to do for i mean it's not the same stats obviously but no i same, it can't the, be yeah it's, it's this but it is super it's everything that i want it to be in a, in a beer and we have it's been our aside from when we won hop drop and roll uh golden world beer cup aside from that like following month it's been our fastest selling beer in the market really yeah we were just we're pumping it out and it's getting insanely good reviews and stuff like that and uh and it's got that pineapple juice looking uh body to it with the pineapple mango aroma to match it and are you happy with it i love it it's one of my it's one you know i get little passion project stuff randomly that we're like you know we want to try to do this project we want to do this special release and you know we're going to try to you know for things that that i start planning months in advance on i'm like let me look is this idea work well let me do a little test batch where i change this one factor and see if i want to go this way with it or not and that will become a because we release a new beer basically every week well you also have to well, by our by our own rules, yeah, we yeah. release a new beer every week, and that's a st- that's a tradition we started, um, and and held ourselves accountable for. Uh, but it gives you time it gives you time to try out stuff on not the biggest scale in the world, and say like, yeah, that addition at that point at this temp or whatever at this variety of hop that that worked out well, or it's we need to go back and try this other thing. So like working really heavily, I mean like this is the stretch of what I know works and this is the stretch of what I can work with as far as the financial input on it and, and uh, you know, without having to you know lose money on it or not, or, you know, keep it in the same financial uh, sense making of it all, you know, just like, you don't want to release a product and, it, and you like people go crazy for it. And it's like, well, the price point that we put on it doesn't really do much for us. Yeah. You know? So it's like, I, I knew that if I could price it in, to where it could be basically no more, no less than than our hop drop, which is a, not a cheap beer by any degree, but it, but you know it's like a lot of the hazies. There's so much um, gravitas and people just like we're throwing so much of this into it. It's like you don't have to to make amazingly good beer still, right? You know, there's well, and, and that and but does that because now you're not necessarily talking to brewers, you're talking to consumers, and you're saying okay, like. Yes, you prefer hazy uh, versus West Coast, mm-hmm. and we have a hazy, and it'll cost the same as if you buy our West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to going down the street where they might be charging twenty five dollars for a four pack or something like that. Like you're going to get it for. Well, I think the 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 target that we were trying to do with it though is to have it uh, where, um, not trying to compete with, but as an example for like we're let's think of it this way. Like the ours is called Radio Haze. Yeah, Radio Haze is something that you know you can always find if you want. If you want to get a, a one-off or a thing that's like a, an exclusive or a rare yeah. beer, there's tons of them all around. Like, yeah, and 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 you pay for that one-offness of it. You know, and it's supposed to be special. And you know, if we were making so you're it, so you're back talking about the economy of scale. Yeah, and it's like and, and you know if, if you're if we were to if we were packaging and we did package to to limited releases some of our more limited batches that were done say on like our fifteen barrel system yeah it's not as efficient of a process to do it so even if I made it with the same ingredients that we do on our sixty barrel radio haze it'd still be probably a little bit higher in price yeah you know so but so you know it's one of those things where it's like I want radio haze's purpose to be a all year round available it's there it's it's easy to find you don't have to come wait in line for it at the brewery or anything like that. And it's serving the purpose of this is our standard template of what we want to represent us on a hazy IPA uh, 
portion. And we're going to release some that are going to be more expensive, you know, at some point. That That's a, a completely different. I did a beer for our anniversary. It's a hazy double IPA. called uh, It's our eight-year anniversary, so it's called Optimus Prime. And, uh, and you know, it's going to be draft only. Here comes that, the so. Hasbro C&D. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, so it's one of those things where, like, there's always going to be <laughs> you're, those. You're so unhappy about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like. That you know that beer is absurdly higher rates of, of everything, not because that's what it's designed to be. Yeah. You know, um, what does that mean? It's going to be less aromatic and flavorful than Rayo Haze? Not really. I mean, you're looking at a 10 percent double double hazy IP versus a six percent one. Yeah. You know, you have complete competing factors in. My overall point of it is like the role of Rayo Haze isn't to try to distract from anybody else's one-off hazy. Those are going to exist regardless, and they they, they deserve. You know, everyone puts the price on that they feel is deserved, and and, and that's usually done from how much work does it take and how much how much ingredient cost it is. And so that's 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 going to drive that price more than anything else. I so get it's it. like you know when we're I'm looking at we'll never be able, for example we can never get that price to what like you can see uh, uh, what's what's Sierra Nevada's one uh, the um, hazy little ha- thing yeah hazy little thing thank you um, like. You know that's always going to be way less price than us, but, but their their entire infrastructure of how they come about having that beer available is a completely different thing. Than we're well, yeah, I, but it, I wanted that Radio Haze to basically be like, to some degree, our version of like Hazy Little Thing or uh, or the the Deschutes Hazy that's out and whatnot that you can find regularly. It's not like it's not a stand in line sort of a beer, but it is filling that niche of a constant Hazy uh, Hazy IPA to work for. I, I do like thinking about it, though, in dollar terms, because there's a lot of guys who, you know, will just say, well, we bought, you know, $900 worth of Mosaic and we threw it in, into this, you know, one batch of beer uh, or whatever the number is, like that kind of thing, where it, it, it strikes me if, if you do, if you use things smartly. Yeah. You yeah, can, yeah, and that's that's what I came down to, and I might be completely wrong on on this, but like just yeah, but kind you're of nerdy, still in just, business, ner- yeah, but yeah, but like and when you, I was, you doing, want to be in business for yeah a lot longer. I would, yeah, I would, I would prefer it. <laughs> but, uh, but so when doing a lot of these smaller batch runs of the hazies and whatnot, I, I for a while there would see like what what's the level where you're not getting that biotransformation juiciness. Right. You know, like, because the whole thing after, you know, it's not a secret or anything like that, but, like, you know, when you're dry hopping hazies, you're dry hopping them in a tradition that's kind of counterpart to the uh, to the West Coast style. That's really trying to, usually at least, most West Coast, most West Coast IPAs are really trying to fortify up expression of myrcene, you know, carofilling these traditional large-scale oils and, and uh, hop complexes yeah. that are in really high percentages of these oily hops, right? Whereas in a lot of the, the dry hopping in, in uh, hazy IPAs are dry hopping much earlier, so you're getting a biotransformation activity with the yeast, but you're relying on what the byproduct is going to be on oils like geraniol and 4-MMP and neural and linalool, and these, these hops, these oils are in all those hops as well, but they're so small a percentage of the oil complex that you have to throw a lot of them in there to even notice them, you know? Right. Uh, so I, a lot of what I did was trying to figure, like, where does the cutoff line where that aromatic, juicy punch and that upfront juicy flavor actually dies off? You know, like, where, like, can you get away with one pound per barrel dry hopping and actually still get all that good aroma and flavor? It's like, or do you, you have to throw nine pounds per barrel on it? Right. And eventually, because yeah. one doesn't sound like sexy versus, no, nine. yeah, and, it, and we don't, and we don't advertise radio for like it's, it's addition rates or anything. For its I, I do, I yeah. do for other beers though, you know, because they are absurd ratings or whatever. But there's a diminishing return as well at some point with what you're trying to get. And then also, I mean, the more dry hopping you're throwing into something, you know, the more sludge you're going to have. You're probably not going to be able to use all that. Sure. So you have loss there as well for your final volume. But basically, what I was looking at is like I was comfortably getting a a a a, uh, a good quality. Uh, standard at uh, basically a three pound per barrel dry hopping rate when dry hopped at at how high Krausen with uh, with most of our hazies that we were doing and and radio is a little bit more than that because I still had room in my the you know my budgetary ceiling to yeah. work with that but I didn't try to overshoot it like crazy so that basically forged what the standard idea of what radio hazes dry hopping level was I'm not trying to throw you know our entire inventory of hops into it but it is you know it's it's over twice the amount of what we would do for a hop drop and roll, but that's what it's relying on. Hop drop has a lot of kettle side hops that, that radio doesn't, you know? So it's you, all like R and D re, re, like response essentially. 
Are you okay being known as a hop brewer? Like a hop I'm okay brewer? with it. Yeah. I, I, I think it's incorrect because some of the best beers I think we have on draft right now are actually traditionalized lagers. We yeah. have an amazing Dortmunder lager on that we actually have hopefully uh, presenting well whenever they're judging it today or tomorrow or whatever. We have a, a, I absolutely love our Oktoberfest that we have on. Yeah. Um, I think we make some pretty great dark beers as well. I actually love making Belgian beers, but again, it's knowing uh, the market. Uh, yeah, you it, can't it, sell it those. It doesn't sell Belgian. Bel- Belgians and Charlotte just don't move very well. And I, and I, anyway. I, if, I if I do, uh, like, so we have one that's been well received recently that I did. We do a pink pint night um, uh, every year where we team up uh, with uh, a charity that essentially allow, uh, gives uh, free mammograms to uninsured women. Cool. Um, and we've done it every year that we've been around. So this was the eighth year that we did. And they, they, they purposely uh, want me to, you know, basically breast re- breast pun reference the name. So this beer was called uh, Breast Friends Forever. <laughs> and um, and, uh, and it is a Belgian pale ale re-fermented on raspberry juice. So it had a pink color to it, and a lot of people really liked it. But you have to kind of push it as like a, it's a raspberry fruited pale ale that's Belgian, you know. <laughs> just yeah. kind of, you kind of have to sneak the Belgian part of it in there, but it works really well with the beer because it's got that great ester profile. It's really clean. It's got some you know subtle uh, phenolic character that bounces off the brightness of the raspberries and all. But people look at it as a, it's the fruited beer for this event. They don't like we. I love our triples that we do. I have one uh, coming out soon. That's a that's refermented on peaches and on. It's just a really great beer but it's that beer will sell mostly because it's a higher alcohol not because because there's there's that, what's your there's strongest that yeah 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 there's that there's those guys out there that that will straight up ask that you know and it's not just at festivals you know so uh do you uh, get it at the bar as well yeah you get it at the tap room absolutely yeah most of them we have more often we more often have them available at tap room than we do like try to do a bottle exclusive or whatever so all right, so knowing that you're not necessarily uh, want to be typecast as a hop guy, which I don't think is a bad thing. And again, and I, have, I haven't visited your brewery in person in maybe five, six years now at this point uh, since the last time we, we, we drank together. So mm-hmm. like, I, I would drink your lagers all day, uh, even though I haven't had them just because I, I, I trust you. But um, this is going to air later on uh, past the season. But I was really curious about uh, you were talking about a, uh, a wet hop. Uh, beer that uh, that you guys are mashing in on uh, in and around like right now when we're talking. Yeah. The thing that I've always found really interesting is you are East Coast, like you mm-hmm. are pretty far from Yakima. Yeah. Uh, when it comes uh, to these things, how do you see your wet hop, your fresh hop, whatever we're going to call mm-hmm. them in this thing, differ from the ones that might happen? in washington oregon extreme northern california like where yeah. it's it's not it's not going to be the same sort of thing it's just not it's, it's impossible to do it um, but, but but there's such this romantic notion of those beers yeah I mean, and, it's and, a I, great and beer. i and i love it and and i love like you know like like smelling like fresh vines and mm-hmm. like fresh all like yeah. in, in these things but there is definitely an East Coast versus West Coast oh, yeah. difference, and and let's even just say like you know uh, uh, Pacific Standard Time versus uh, East Standard Time, where you go through Mountain and Central and et cetera. Yeah. Um, it's going to become a little bit more muted as it goes, even if it is an overnight flight, whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, like only we don't really. I'm I've not been convinced. I will be happy to admit that I'm that I'm wrong one day. Okay. But I haven't been convinced that that in our area we have any mass amount of hops that can be grown that are of the same quality we're getting. Well, get you can't. I yeah. mean, it's, it's you know just, all science says no, but at the same time, I'm sure there's plenty of growers out there that would love to prove me wrong, and I'd love to be proven wrong. To be honest with you, no, but but, uh, but yeah, right so, now, 2019, yeah, this harvest, yeah. So so we get ours in from Yakima. They overnight them. We throw them. Uh, you know, a couple hundred pounds of it. You got a boil going, like yeah. when we, the FedEx truck pulls exactly. up. Last year that we didn't get the notice, that was really fun. <laughs> so we had a pretty long brew day with that. I was just walking out to to go to the dumpster and this. Uh, <laughs> As uh, you UPS do. Yes, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's just where I hang out. CPS <laughs> <laughs> truck pulls up and his back tailgate was like stuck, and I could see like little pops like rolling out, and I was like, "Oh God!" And started sprinting back inside. <laughs> And I grabbed the lab guy. I was like, "It's about to be a long day." Boy, boy, start the boil. Yeah. Start the boil. Yeah, it was crazy. So, uh, but yeah, I know. So we we get by on ours, and it, it you know you can view it as cheating. I view it as we want to make a really good beer, 
but I don't like, think it's you know, cheating. Well, I, well, I'm, like, we use pellets in it too. I mean, it's not only wet oh, it's not yeah, only it's not wet hop. All right, and that's because we wanted to dry hop it, and uh, we tried to do some like the very first year we ever did it. We felt so stupid, and it was just, just us having naivety in it, or whatever. And um, and we ordered Citra and Mosaic wet hops, and we we're like, yeah, this is gonna be awesome. And we're brewing uh, the batch, and we got the hops, and we're like, these are just the citrus. And we're like, oh yeah, they don't harvest the mosaic at the same day, probably. And we were like, oh god. And so we got the mosaics in like a week later. So we're like, let's oh my try god. To, yeah, so we're like, let's try to dry hop with these things, just see if it can. And it didn't. Work. That's night. That's so, a nightmare scenario. Yeah, that's so like was, everything little, that. Yeah. It was just us being just never done doing it before, and we just kind of, you know, didn't really think about it. You know, because we order multiple types of hops all the time. Yeah, that's what it is. But um, but uh. You know, nowadays what we do is we do citra holy or citra uh, uh, green hops or fresh hops or whatever you want to call them, and we do uh, we do have a whirlpool edition of citra mosaic and and we basically dry hop with citra mosaic afterwards. So we are relying on the stuff that we already know as being decent, good hop profile in pellet form. It's just accented with that fresh hop yeah. in it as well. You know, uh, so it's not going to be the same thing comparison wise to the guys that are you know like I have a, a friend that owns uh, Grains of Wrath, Michael Hunsaker. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. He just does amazing beer across the board, and uh, and everyone every time I go up there and have his wet hop beers, it's just like this is ridiculous. He's like, yeah, we did twelve pounds per barrel on this one. And I'm like, good god, man. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I just take my truck and go up and pick up, the, you know, load the truck up and come back and just use that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just uh, like we would never be able to afford that much. For overnight, the shipping on that on that beer costs more than the hops do. But also, is like, is the even the appreciation there? Like, it's I, a I don't fun, think it's gonna, a fun marketing tool, but yeah. like, I think that there's a difference well, it between sells, like it sells really well for us. But that's again with us using it as a like the wet hopness of it really is a is a is a facet of that beer. Whereas on the West Coast, you know, it can be the thing on the beer. You know what I mean? So we do with it with everything that I think we can get away with to keep it something unique and different. It sells really well for us. It's a it's a it's an awesome moving uh, can that we have, um, and we do it you know just that one time a year and do like, do a double or triple batch of it and let it roll. But at the same time, it's like you know this isn't the exact same thing as if you're in the West Coast. I, th- I think one of the fun things with it though is that is that you're uh, one thing that's really fun with it is a lot of, some of the best West hop West wet, uh, wet hop beers. Ever had have been like right there at the tap rooms of, of a place you know that doesn't it's really hard to get the comparison side by side when you're yeah. on the two different sides of the country you just know about them and whatnot so it is what it is but uh you know i like the beer a lot and it's it's just we have to work with what we have to work with to make it the best product that it is and yeah there is going to be some depreciation with them overnighting it to us um i it's not enough to where you're gonna lose lose the reason to do it and you're not I mean, you know we're not getting any sort of growth of anything on it or anything of that nature um, and the beer tastes awesome. I actually uh, sampled some of it. We're we're canning it today. I sampled it uh, yesterday, and very very good stuff. You're happy so, with it, yeah. The fun part with the wets is, you know, we go up every year uh, to hand select our hops for the next following har- harvest crop year or whatever. Right. You don't get really that choice unless you live on the west coast or there. So every year, even though it's you're the same type of hop, you don't know what lot it is. You don't. It's not. It's, there's going to be subtle little, little variations in it. So it's kind of cool to see how each year's turns out because it's a different crop it's whatever's available for them to send it over to you so as you head into a new year as you head into 2020 where do you want to what direction do you want your beers to go in i won't uh, i don't think you can ever be consistent enough uh i think our mantra since we've started the new spot on my perspective as as the brewer and essentially kind of head of of qa qc has been I want us to have a uh, an exciting um, uh, array of beer options for people to fit multiple different types of palettes and things of that nature, but only to be exciting because we have built our, our brand on consistency from all the beers that everyone knows when they walk in the door. Yeah, you know, I want every sort of beer palette to be able to find something, if not several things, when they come in to our place. But I also want our reputation to be yeah. Every time they say it's a this, it's that. Every time I buy one of their beers off the shelf, it's it's solid. It's a good quality product. You know, time will ravage things. You know, as it does, uh, and especially to the IPAs and stuff. Like that I mean, we I I've take you know we take as many steps to try to fight that as we can, but it will take its toll. You know, as it does on everything. 
But uh, but going forward, like tightening the QC and the QA for consistency's sake allows for the stuff that's new and exciting to already have a template of stuff that we know that works. So when we try new ventures and we try new concepts and we and we go forward with uh with more knowledge on the things that we already know the benchmarks for and we have the brand standards established for, it just makes us go more confidently on every new project that we do. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. No problem. Thanks for sitting down. This Thank is you for uh, if you're in Charlotte or yep. the general area, mm-hmm. uh, go and visit what you're doing. Yeah, please uh, do. I, I really you? like it. So yeah. it's uh, on North Tryon Street. Come see us. <laughs> You'll probably run into me there, and if you mention this, I'll probably give you a tour impromptu. So well, even better. So yeah, if you mention whatever <laughs> this podcast is, uh, by all means, uh, uh, please do it, guys. Thanks so much for much taking time out of GABF and. Uh, and hanging out. Absolutely, man. Appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. That's Chad Henderson and Charles Willett of Nilda Brewing. Before we go, I want to take a minute this Thanksgiving week to thank all of you who have been listening, subscribing, and leaving reviews. It helps other folks find the show, and it's a job that I truly enjoy doing, and I hope to do for a long time, and that's possible with your support. This episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. Florida Man is back and better than ever. The brewery's 8.5% double IPA is back and has been given a makeover. Jammed with Pacific Jade, Galaxy, Azaka, Lemon Drop, and Simcoe, Florida Man is balanced by delicate peach esters from a double IPA yeast and a dash of Canadian honey malt. Find a four-pack of cans of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing Tasting Room and on shelves at the start of the new year. Or learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. Again, thanks so much for listening. You can always reach me on email at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Nate Schweber does our music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, Andy Crouch runs the website and generally gives me a hard time, and Ryan Newhouse is available to talk if you'd like to advertise on this show. You can find him at BeerEdge.com. I'm John Hall, and we'll be back next Wednesday for a brand new show when we drink beer and think beer. Cheers, and happy Thanksgiving.